so that you have been blessed. I've been hearing that all around. Uh-oh. I've got a friend that's come up here. This is my granddaughter. She saw her papa and wanted to be up here. <laughs> this is Rosalind. Uh-oh, you knocked my glasses off, dear. <laughs> now I'm totally lost. <laughs> well, you know, Roger was talking about families last night. And uh, I'm stumped. <laughs> uh, tonight is Pastor Roger Hernandez's last evening with us. Can we give him a round of applause, a Carolina round of applause, to thank him? Thank you so much. This will be very interesting. <laughs> Join me as we pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, tonight, once again, we invite the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room and anoint your servant leader, Pastor Roger Hernandez, as he opens God's word to us. Father, last night, we learned some painful truths that unraveled past issues, unresolved past issues, unravel our families. And that unresolved issues affect our children. But how thankful we are how Pastor Hernandez closed that message with the amazing grace of Jesus. How it is His grace that helps resolve all those unresolved issues. And tonight, Father, I pray that as he opens your word and the message to us tonight on giant killers, that you will speak to our hearts tonight. For I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Spirit of the living God, Fall afresh on me, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me and fill Thank you, Pastor Louis. It's been a, an honor for me to be here. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but I've tried to finish 
before my time every night. You know, it's, it's a text somewhere that says, Blessed are the brief, for they shall be invited again. I believe that the gospel is eternal, but the sermons don't have to be. So, one of the one of the best known stories in Scripture is the story of David and Goliath, and we know how an underdog killed a famous giant. But when what we sometimes overlook was the ability of David. To take care of four mini giants that came before the big giant. And if you are going to be able to fulfill your purpose, why God created you and put you on this earth, you are going to encounter the same four mini giants. And they come to us in the form of people. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And there are four people that have encounters with David. There are some struggles and difficulties along the way that if David had let those obstacles get the best of him, he would have never killed the giant. So if you're going to kill your giant, you're going to deal with these four types of people as well. Number one, the first mini-giant that got in that got in David's way was people that tried to limit you. First Samuel seventeen seventeen. Who tried to limit David? Let's read the text. It says one day Jesse. What 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 is Jesse's relationship with David? Uh, it's his dad. One day Jesse said to David, "Take this basket of roasted grain." And these ten loaves of bread, and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along, and bring back a report on how they are doing. Notice what's happening in this passage. There's a war going on. There's a mountain where the Israelites are camped. There's a valley where nobody is there. There's another mountain where the Philistines are camped. And David's father looks at him and following a familiar pattern in that family of dysfunction, he tells David, listen, son, I want you to go to the front lines, but you're not going to be there to become a warrior. All you are is an errand boy. Don't you dare start anything. On get involved in anything. Even though he knew he had killed a, a, a lion. He had killed a bear. He said all you are is an errand boy. But where his father saw an errand boy. God saw a king. So this is what I'm saying. In your life. You're going to have all kinds of people. Telling you. How far you can go. You're going to have some people. Especially if you have a dream. An idea. A vision. That is new and fresh and innovative. Maybe it never done before. One of the worst things you can do if you get a vision from God is to tell the wrong person. 
Because when you tell the wrong person, sometimes people are not happy because it's not their vision. There are going to be some people, I know it doesn't happen in your church, in your board, but in some board that I have been a part of, there's some people you know, in the church that oppose a, a, an idea, just be, not, nothing wrong with the idea. The only reason they oppose it is because it wasn't theirs. It's not my idea, so it's not good. I had, I had a lady come talk to me and said, Pastor, after, after I, I, I preached this message, she said, Pastor, I was a nurse working for a hospital, and I decided to start my own business. So I put a business plan together, and I prayed about it, and I fasted, and I felt peace in my heart, and I had it all planned. And I sat down with my husband and shared the plan with him. And he looked at me and said two words. What were they? Two words. They were, they, they, they were, they were sitting across the table. And he looked at her and said, You're crazy. She went ahead anyway. And now, 10 years after, she has people working for her. They have bought a house in the Florida Keys that he enjoys. See, this is the issue with antagonists. This, this is the issue where people try to limit you. At first, They'll oppose you, and they, th and they call you crazy. But when, once you do it, they'll say, yeah, I was with them all the way. Isn't it interesting that the person that tries to limit David is not some stranger in the street. It's his own dad. I mean, kids are born with ideas and dreams and visions. Who kills that in them? Who tells them it's not possible? You? I want to be the president. I want president with a big head. Go clean your room, president. I want to be an astronaut. I want, see, my job as a pastor and my job as a parent is to, is to tell my kids, you can go as far as God wants you to go. So this is what I'm telling you tonight. Some of you have dreams and ideas that are in your hard drive, that are in your desk, that are in your heart, because you showed up with a fistful of balloons and told the wrong person, and they had a fistful of bobby pins and popped each and every one. But remember this. Criticism is just a sandpaper that God uses to polish the work of art that is in you. So you let God decide how far you can go. God decide. God decide. I still keep in my drawer my evaluation about my potential as a student. They said it's going to be very low. You're going to have a hard time. You might not get good grades. And I have my report card and that letter to remind me every day that I am not what you say I am. I am what God says I am.
There's going to be some people that try to limit you. Number two, the second mini giant are people that are all talk and no action. Check out what happens, verse 20. David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Let me paint a picture. This is what happens every day. The Israelites get up early in the morning and they get dressed as if they were going to fight. They put on their helmets, swords, shields, spears, arrows, bows. They line up in squadrons and somebody from the front says, who is going to win today? And everybody says, we are. And what side is God on? Our side. Yay, yay, yay. And it's, it's a fever pitch. Everybody's yelling and screaming and excited. But the Bible says in verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, who is him? As soon as they saw that huge nine feet guy, as soon as they saw him, they began, what's it say in your Bible? They began, they ran towards him and killed him in Jesus' name. Amen? Who said amen? Take it off of automatic pilot. Don't say, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. See, here, here's David. And he's surrounded by people that are all talking, no action. Sounds a lot like church. How many people believe Jesus is coming back? Amen. How many people think we should tell the world about Jesus? Amen. Okay. Follow me. This Sabbath afternoon, three o'clock, we're going to go out. Three o'clock comes. <gasps> I'm telling you, we're educated well above our level of obedience. We know a lot of stuff and go through a lot of seminars. What's the next seminar that I can take? What's the next certificate that I can put on my wall? When is the next meeting I'm going to have? When is the next revival? God is not as much interested in our diction. He's interested in our action. So do me a favor now. And for the introverts in the room, this is going to be like really intimidating. But that's fine. Do it anyway. I want you to turn to the person next to you. To the right or to the left. I don't care. The one you like the least. To the right or to the left. And I want you to touch their arm and say, please do something. Go ahead. Do something. For the love of God, do something. It's not about going to church and saying amen. It's about going in the community and saying, here I am, Lord, send me. It's not about talking and knowledge and reading. All that stuff is good. But we already know. See, in the Bible, remember that story of the Samaritan women, woman came to Jesus The disciples went into town and came back with food. The Samaritan woman went into town and came back with people. Who was more qualified to evangelize? She had never gone to any class. Nobody ever taught her how to witness. But she had a story to tell. I was lost and now I'm saved. 
The reason sometimes we don't evangelize is if we, we don't really believe what the Bible says. It's been too long and we forgot how great the grace of God is. Do something. You're going to be surrounded with people that talk. And have opinions. I think we should do this. I think the pastor should do that. I think the board should do a, I think the conference and the general conference and the people. And I, See, it's not about talking. I want people of action. I want people to say, hey, I'm here to help. How can I help in a normal church? Maybe your church is not a normal church. But in a normal church, 20% do 80% of the work. In a normal church... 20% give 80% of the resources in a normal church. It's like a football game where there is 22,000 people in desperate need of exercise watching 22 people in desperate need of rest. Like, stop coming to the pastor with ideas. You do it. Ministry is not for the professionals. For everyone that's in the church, they have a part to play. I was pastor of a church. They were most, I'm from Cuba. So I grew up playing baseball. This church is people from Mexico. They grew up playing soccer. I don't know how to play soccer. But I was a pastor. So I said, I'm going to join you. And we played Sunday mornings. You know those friendly church versus church games where nobody argues and we kick each other in Jesus' name? <laughs> It's interesting what I saw. I, I didn't know how to play that well, but I, I was playing. You know who was... Who was yelling the loudest? Who was telling me what I should do? You know who had the most opinions about how we should strategize? Not the ones in the field. It's the ones outside. Halftime comes, and it's July, and we're sweating, and we're cramping, and we're thirsty. And it's halftime, and we're, I mean, we're just exhausted. And we're sitting underneath a tree, a tree trying to get some air before a second half. And here comes that guy. There's always one of those guys in every church. The guy that has a lot of opinions. You know that guy? Yeah. You don't know that guy? There's always in, one in every church. I'm telling you. If you don't know, you, who is that guy? It's you, dude. It's you. He comes. Here he comes walking. And we're like sweating. He comes and he's walking towards us. It's like a, a 72-ounce uh, big gulp in one hand and like a taco in another one. And he's like, uh, Pastor, you should run more. Dude looked like he swallowed the ball, and he tried to tell us how to play soccer. See, I have a, a personally held belief that if you're not contributing in the church, you forfeit the right to talk. Here comes names for discussion about baptism. And the ones that oppose the baptisms are the ones who never give Bible studies. Because if you knew how hard it was to get somebody to a point of decision, you would never be critical of a decision of a person. Your name is not the Holy Spirit. Talk 
and no action. Number three, David had to encounter people that judged him. People that limit him, all talk, no action. People that judge him. Verse 28, when David's oldest brother, Eliab, Eliab, once again, his family heard David talking to the man. He was angry. Isn't that an odd reaction? If you're in a fight and somebody says, hey, I'm going to fight with you, don't you welcome that? If you're in a war and, and a soldier says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on your side, where's the enemy? Shouldn't, it be, shouldn't you be grateful? No, but this guy was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? So now he's demeaning him. I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. It's, it's an odd reaction. People that, that, that judge you, that think they know you, that criticize you, that see your glory but don't know your story, that see what happens outside but don't know how, what you've gone through. And oftentimes... We see these things in churches. People that are angry for no reason. I believe, and I, I've said it other times, I believe we should be angry about the same thing God is angry about. And we should not be angry about the things God is not angry about. God is not angry about makeup, bro. He's not angry about makeup. In fact, some people need it. Amen? Not angry about the fact that you color your nails. Or sometimes you eat a chicken sandwich. Or drink some iced tea. He's not angry about that stuff. There's too many angry Christians posting stuff on Facebook and not doing stuff to take care of the widows and the orphans. It's too many talk of the negativity and the stuff we oppose. We're against this and we're against that and we're against this and we're against that. So the question is, all right, you're against that, cool. But what are you for? The reason Christianity is losing influence in America is because we're known Just for the things we are opposed. And I know. I mean, we live in a country where it's wrong to say something is wrong. And that's wrong. Yet, we need to be positive people. But didn't Ellen White say that the greatest argument in favor of Christianity is somebody who is pleasant and happy? If Jesus is in your heart, communicate it to your face. We need to walk around not angry, judging people, making assumptions and labeling them. It's not our job to be heresy hunters. Our job is to make sure, number one, we're safe. And number two, focus not in criticizing our fellow soldiers, but trying to win lost people for Jesus. This is what happens in churches Where fishermen don't fish, they fight. Because if, you, if, you're a God, if you're about God's mission, you're going to have less time to look at the speck in the eye of the person next to you. Hurt people, hurt people. So you, you know what David did to his brother? Verse 29. He says, what have I done now? So this has happened before. David replied, I was only asking a question. In verse 30, this is his strategy. The Bible says that David walked over 
to some others. Time is too short for you to lose it having arguments with people that are not going to change your minds. Nobody ever changed your mind after having a Facebook discussion. Nobody. I mean, hours on end, arguing back and forth. And you have your point, and the other guy has their point, and they bring some quotes, and you bring your quotes, and you bring your text, and they bring their text. And at the end of the day, nobody's changed their minds, and you're mad. There are going to be some people that are going to try to judge you. They're going to try to get you sidetracked. I call them the devil's rabbits, running after trivial things, after secondary issues. Stay focused on the mission and use a resource that's there on Facebook, especially social media. It's called Delete and Block. People send me crazy videos about the Illuminati and how, if you remember that, the bucket challenge where people put ice, ice water on, it's like for mus muscular dystrophy and, and, and MDA. People sending me videos that that's the Illuminati and that's the age of a queer. Stop with that craziness. This conspiracy and that there's Jesuits in the, in the general conference. Who has time to take care of all this stuff? I only have time to tell people that Jesus is coming back. Everything else, delete and block. Don't get into arguments with people. Arguing with an antagonist. It's like wrestling with a pig. At the end of the day, you both get 30 and the pig likes it. Internet trolls say they, they thrive on your responses. They do things just to get a rise out of you. Stay focused on the mission. There are going to be some people that are going to criticize you. They're going to criticize your motives. They're going to label you. You know why we label people? That way we don't have to get to know them. I mean, it's easier. Well, I already know. He's a liberal. He's an extremist. Divorcee. Alcoholic. Addict. Non-Adventist. Easy to label people. It's really hard to embrace somebody you're pointing the finger at. Number four. And this is the, la the last mini giant. Can you remember the first three? Let's see how your memory is. The first one was what? People that try to what? Limit you. You let God decide how you far you can go. Number two, people that were out. All talk, no action. Number three, people that, that judge you. And number four, people that try to control you. This one is trickier because... In this story, Saul, who's the king, just like controlling people, controlling people are trickier because they'll act friendly because they want to control you through their friendliness. And they want to do favors for you. Beware of people that go all out of the way and don't know you. It's trickier. Saul tells David, listen, you want to kill the giant? Yeah, go ahead. But it has to be my way. Look at what David said, verse 39. David put it on, his armor. The armor for Saul. And Saul was tall. David was smaller. 
David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Somebody said that God, when he made you, he broke the mold. It's really hard to be somebody else. When I was growing up, my dad is a pastor. We would stand in the door. And people would come by. My dad's name is Pascual. Pascual. Crazy name. Pascual. People would come to the door and say, Pastor, Pascual, what a great sermon. They were sleeping through the whole way. Pastor, Pascual, what a great sermon. And then they would look at me next to him. And they would say, Pascualito. My name is Roger. I love my dad. I hate that name, though. Pascualito. You're going to be a pastor like your dad? And I, I adore my dad. I love my dad. He's my role model. But I don't want to be my second. I don't want to be the second Pascual. I want to be the first Roger. So you have to, you have to be who God created you to be. And in witnessing, and in church life, and in life in general, be who you are. Be comfortable in your own skin. And there are going to be some people that are going to say, no, has to be this way. Has to be this music. Has to be this Bible lessons. Has to be this food. I have two friends. You know, I've been vegetarian all my life. But it took me 48 years to become a vegan. You know why? Other vegans. You ever met a happy vegan? I hadn't met, I hadn't met many. And I had a friend who goes, he come to my house, and, and he was, all of a sudden, he became vegan. He became all into that. And I was already a vegetarian. But he came to my house and said, eliminate that, eliminate that, eliminate that. I don't need that. Eliminate that. Eliminate. My, my kids don't even know him as, as his, you know, they don't even know his name. I'm not going to say it because this is being recorded. They don't know his name. It's Walter. <laughs> they don't know Walter by his first name. They say, They say, hey, is, is, is your friend Eliminate going to come? I have another friend who's also a vegan, and he never said anything about my diet. All he did was take me to some awesome vegan restaurants. And I had this concept that vegan food tastes like cardboard. In fact, cardboard had more flavor than vegan food. And he take me... He was taking me to these vegan restaurants, and I'm like, this food is good, and it's good for you. And I started losing weight, and I started sleeping better, and I started feeling better. And I said, this is awesome. But he never said anything that if you don't eat this, you're not going to heaven, nothing. He just modeled with his life. And, and I, I mean, this guy is a happy guy, and, he's, he's just, and he loves God, and, and he's friendly, and he's vegan, and this is really good food. And it helped me, and it inspired me. See, the red books are a map, not a mallet. Use it for yourself. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in everything, love. There are going to be some people that, and, and, and it varies. In whatever, whatever context I'm preaching, when I go to Spanish churches, there's one thing. And African-American churches is another thing. Anglo churches is another thing. Korean churches. I don't know why. We've made it a mission, some of us, to tell everybody 
that they have to be like us. I don't want to create mini-me's. I want to create people just like God intended them to be. So my job is not to control you. Because when the gospel, listen, when the gospel is not present, our fallback strategy is control. When the gospel is not present, the fallback strategy is control. Now I have to control everything and I have to instill fear in you so you will make sure you fall in line. But when the gospel is present, wherever the spirit of God is, there is freedom. So you be happy, joyful, in love with Jesus. That we come in contact with other, other people. They say, man, I wonder what that person has. Don't go around telling everybody what you don't do and what you do and what you don't eat and what you eat. Just live your life with the happiest. And people will notice there's a lot of unhappiness and not a lot of hope in this world. Bring them hope. Bring them love. Bring them Jesus. So he took it off. He said, I'm, this is not me. Last night, for me, was heartbreaking, as it always is when I preach that sermon. When I saw three-fourths of the congregation get up and pray for the kids and grandkids. It's heartbreaking for me, as I saw it from here. I'm not, a, I'm not like a sentimental guy. I'm not that dude, right? I'm not a sentimental guy. I'm not like a huggy stuff. I'm, I'm just, but I had a knot in my throat because I, I know kids and the grandkids and we want to get them engaged in church again question is are you willing to make the sacrifices and the changes necessary to make sure they feel included or do you want them always to do it like you do it or is there leeway like we tell the pastors yeah I want you to be innovative pastor as long as everything remains the same There are going to be some people that are going to try to control you. But you do you. So here's David. He's looking at the giant. He's overcome somebody trying to limit him. All this talk and white noise. He overcame somebody who judged him. And the king, a person of authority, who told him he had to do it like him. He took up everything. And he grabbed Five stones. Why five? Because Goliath had four brothers. So it wasn't a lack of faith. It was like, this is for Goliath. This is for the other brother. This is for the other brother. And if your sister comes, she can get one too. <laughs> five stones. Five giants. But only one came. And he threw the stone, hit him in the head, and he said these words before he threw it. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This story is not about David. It's about the God 
of David. It's not about David's prowess. It's about, it's about God's power. He hits him in the head. He cuts off his head. That's why an author said, never underestimate a person with nimble feet, superior technology, and the spirit of the living God. Somebody else said, never underestimate the heart of a champion. David had to overcome four obstacles. But that day, one person turned it around for everybody. I'm praying tonight that you will be able to look at your giant in the eye. And where others see their giants and say, he's too big, I can't win. You might look at him and say, he's too big, I can't miss. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray tonight that you will inspire us, motivate us, keep us, and propel us so we can look at our giants and say, whatever it is you have coming against me, I come towards you with God on my side. And God and I, we are a majority. It doesn't matter how many people are against me. If God is for me, those who are against me are wasting their time. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your spirit, your love, and your blessing and power. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.